Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the Captain's Log Sermons. You'll be hearing Nathan preach not only at Liberty Grace Church, but also at surrounding churches. We hope that this is an encouragement to you and that you're blessed. This morning, and welcome to everyone at home who's watching online on the live stream. Uh, For any of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan Captain. I've been a pastoral intern here at Harbor Uh, for about a year now, and this morning I have the privilege of coming up and sharing with you from God's Word. And as I get started, I just want to ask a question. If I were to come up to any one of you and ask, what do you think the most famous verse in the entire Bible is? Chances are most of you would have the same answer. There's a lot of very famous verses in the Bible, but if I were to ask for the number one verse in the entire Bible, most of you would probably say John 3.16. It's probably one of the most well-known verses throughout the Bible, and most of us would probably be able to quote it word for word with no trouble. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we love that verse, and it's so popular because it's such a good summary of what the Christian faith is all about. But if I were to ask what John 3.17 says, or maybe John 3.15, the number of people who would be able to quote those verses probably would decrease a little bit. Or if I were to ask, what's, what's the larger context of that verse? What's, what's going on in the Bible when that verse shows up? The number would probably go down even further. You see, we love that verse so much, but we often forget that that verse is not just its own isolated thing. That verse is actually found within a story in John's Gospel. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're continuing on with our series, Encounters with Jesus. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at uh, different stories from Jesus' life and his ministry and interactions he had with people and the impact that he had on their lives. We've looked already at Jesus healing a paralytic man, at Jesus calling his first disciples, and this morning we're going to look at another encounter that Jesus has in John chapter 3 with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And now as as you're turning there, before we get started, I just want to set the stage for what's going on uh, when we come to this story. So this is happening pretty early on in Jesus' public ministry. He's, he's going around, he's, um, he's calling disciples, he's preaching, he's performing miracles, and he's starting to grow in popularity. Crowds are starting to gather wherever he goes. There's a growing interest in him. But as his popularity is growing, he starts to uh, butt heads a little bit with a group of people known as the Pharisees. These Pharisees were the religious leaders of the Jews. They were the ones who were responsible for, uh, for teaching and for enforcing God's law. They were the spiritual leaders of the community. So as they saw people beginning to follow and listen to Jesus rather than them, they didn't like that so much. And so there was some tension there between Jesus and these Pharisees. And so now as we come to John chapter 3, I'm just going to read the, the first verse for you here. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night. So right away we're introduced to Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He's one of these religious teachers who's been butting heads with Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus. We're told that he's coming at night, and remember that because it becomes important later. 
Um, but he comes to Jesus at night, and you can just imagine this, this dark street, and a hooded figure steps out of the shadows, says Nicodemus, coming to Jesus to have a conversation with him. He's got some questions and some things that he wants to talk about. So Nicodemus comes up to Jesus, and in chapter 2, or in verse 2, he greets him, and he says this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs and the miracles that you were doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus comes up to Jesus. He engages him in conversation, and he greets, he greets him in this way. He calls him, a, him rabbi, recognizing that Jesus is a, is a great religious teacher. We don't necessarily see the tone that Nicodemus Nicodemus is using here as he speaks to Jesus, whether this is a a sincere compliment or whether this is maybe a little sarcastic and a bit of a challenge to Jesus. But what we can feel here is that Nicodemus is building to something. We can just see that word, but, about to show up after, after this greeting from Nicodemus. Jesus, we know that you are a great teacher, but... Jesus, we know that you have performed great signs. God must be with you, but. You see, Nicodemus and the rest of the Pharisees, they've been watching Jesus up to this point. They've been hearing him teach, watching his ministry. But they're also hearing what other people are saying about him. Notably, they would have been hearing the testimony of John the Baptist and his disciples who would be saying that this Jesus is supposed to be the promised Messiah, the one that God promised to send to save his people, and the one that the Jews had been waiting for for thousands of years. So they're hearing people say this, and you can, you can just feel that Nicodemus is coming to Jesus and saying, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the miraculous signs that you're doing if God were not with him. But are you really who people say you are? Are you really the Messiah, the one that everyone seems to think that you are? And so he comes up to Jesus with with this intention in mind. Maybe he's going to ask Jesus a, a couple questions, challenge him, see how much he knows, if he really knows his stuff. But before he even gets the chance, Jesus responds in verse 3, and he says this. It says, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That response seems a little bit abrupt. You can imagine that probably took Nicodemus off guard a little bit. If you ever bought a brand new book, and because it's so new, the, the pages, they stick together a little bit. So you're reading along, and you flip the page, but a couple of stuck together, and suddenly you're on a completely different topic, or if you're, you're reading a novel or a story, it's a completely different plot point, and you're just left there wondering, like, how did we get from point A to point B? How did, how did we get here? Until you go back and you, you read through those pages that you missed. You'd imagine that Nicodemus is feeling something like that right now. It's basically, Jesus, I just came up and said hello, and now you're responding to me this way and saying, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Where, where did that come from? And you see, as we look at these verses, we see one of the first major observations I want to pull out of this passage, and that is that Jesus sees what is in Nicodemus' heart. See, as Nicodemus has, has come up to Jesus, he's, he started with this compliment, this flattery for Jesus. We know that you're a teacher. We know that you must have come from God. 
But Jesus sees right through to Nicodemus' heart. He sees that Nicodemus is struggling here. He's wrestling through a couple things, wondering who Jesus really is. He looks at Nicodemus' heart and he sees that there is a need there. And this isn't the first time that we have heard of Jesus doing something like this. Two weeks ago, Mark took us through a story of a a paralytic man who was lowered down through the roof of a house to meet Jesus and be healed. And Jesus' words to this man were, your sins are forgiven. He looked at this man, didn't see his physical need, but rather his spiritual need. He saw what was in his heart. And the same is happening here with Nicodemus. He sees exactly what is in Nicodemus' heart, and he sees the need that exists there. And can I tell you something this morning? Jesus sees what is in our heart as well. How many times do we come to Jesus or come to God in prayer and we don't really want to talk about what's on our heart? We're we're not really sure if we can or, or we're embarrassed or what will God think of me if he really knows what's going on in my heart? Well, let me encourage you with this. He already knows he doesn't, he doesn't need to ask or be told what's on your heart. He already knows. God is not sitting up there looking down at me thinking, I really wish that Nathan would open up to me. I really wish that Nathan would tell me what's on his mind, tell me what's on his heart. He already knows what is on my heart. And he knows what is on each and every one of our hearts as well. So Jesus sees what is on Nicodemus's heart. And he sees that there's a need there, and that is why he responds this way and says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And this idea of of being born again becomes the focus of the remainder of the passage, the remainder of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus as they they discuss this idea of, of being born again, which brings us to the second major point in this passage First, that Jesus sees our heart, and second, that we are called to be born again. So Jesus has responded and told Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus, in verse 4, he responds to this. And he says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? In the remainder of this passage, we're going to see Jesus explain more of this idea of, of what he means by you need to be born again. From verse 4 to 18, Jesus is explaining it, and he covers two things. First, what it means to be born again, and second, how you are born again. And so here in verse 4, we're introduced to what it means to be born again, as Nicodemus asks, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. I'm sure every mother out there is very, very thankful that that is true. When I was born, I was 11 pounds and 14 ounces, and I'm sure if you asked my mother, she would not want to go through that a second time. So thankfully, that is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about a second physical birth, like Nicodemus thinks. As Jesus said, you need to be born again. That word again that he uses could also be translated as from above. You need to be born from above. It's quite possible that this is actually what Jesus was trying to communicate to Nicodemus, but there was a misunderstanding that happened there. That's a common theme throughout the entire book of John. As Jesus is teaching, he'll make a statement that could be interpreted one of two ways, either in in the physical sense or in the spiritual sense, and people almost always misunderstand Jesus' words and interpret it only in a physical sense, missing the spiritual truth that Jesus is trying to convey. 
And that's exactly what Nicodemus does here. He misunderstands Jesus' words and is thinking only about another physical birth. And so in verse 5 to 8, Jesus goes on and, and he explains more of what he means by this second birth. Let's read those verses together. 5 to 8, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And now as we look at these comments that Jesus makes, it's important to remember who he's actually talking to here. This isn't just anyone that he's pulled off the street and is having this conversation with. This is Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee. This is a, a religious leader and a religious teacher who would have spent his entire life studying the Old Testament. He would have spent his entire life studying the scriptures, would have committed them to memory, and would have been very familiar with what had been written in the Old Testament. And Jesus knows this, and he's using that here. In verse, in verse 5, when he responds and says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. What that is, is referencing, there's a, a passage in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 25 to 27, and it says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So we look at that passage that Jesus is referring to and we see that he is not talking about a second physical birth here. What he's talking about is a complete spiritual transformation that takes place. See, Nicodemus would have lived his entire life thinking, if I, if I just do enough, if I'm careful enough to obey God's law to the letter, then I'll be good enough for God. Then I will be good enough to, to earn salvation. But what Jesus is teaching here is something entirely different. And how often do we think that same thing as, as Nicodemus? If only I can do enough good. If only the good in my life outweighs the bad, then maybe God will accept me. If I can do enough good, I will earn God's love. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here at all. What he's talking about here is a complete spiritual transformation. He says in that passage from Ezekiel, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And what Nicodemus misses here is that this is not something that we are able to do on our own at all. Look down at verse 6 where Jesus says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. The only way that this second birth happens, the only way that this spiritual transformation is able to happen is through the power of God. It cannot come from anything in ourselves. You see, we can never be good enough on our own. We can never do enough to earn God's love. The Bible tells us in Romans 23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us has disobeyed God. Each and every one of us has rebelled against him, and we deserve punishment because of that. 
Because of that, we need this new birth, this complete spiritual transformation in which God puts a new spirit in us. This isn't something we can accomplish on our own. We can never do enough good. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Jesus has explained what this new birth is, this complete spiritual transformation that he is talking to Nicodemus about. And now coming to verse 9 to 18, he explains how that new birth happens. You see, in verse 9, Nicodemus is, is still confused, and he asks Jesus, how can this be? How can this be that you experience this new birth? And Jesus responds in, in verse 10, and he actually calls out Nicodemus a little bit here. He says, you are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? See, clearly, as, as someone who had studied the Old Testament, the scriptures, his entire life, these things should not have been so surprising to Nicodemus. This should, this should not have been such a shock for him. But look down at verse 12 as Jesus says, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? See, what Jesus is communicating here is that this idea of being born again, this is such a foundational truth for anyone who truly wants to follow God. This cannot be overlooked, and its importance cannot be stressed enough. This is such a, a foundational truth, and it goes back to Jesus' words, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. See, Jesus is telling Nicodemus here that until he gets this, until he has believed this basic foundational truth, he cannot truly understand God. He cannot truly understand things like the kingdom of God until he has grasped this very foundational truth. Before Nicodemus, even someone who has studied the scriptures his entire life can really understand who God is, there is a, a belief and a new birth that must come first. You can't skip past this part. You can't skip past this new birth. It is absolutely essential. So having stressed the importance of what he's about to say, Jesus continues in verse 14 and 15, and he explains how this new birth actually happens. It says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And what he's referring to here is a story that's found in the book of Numbers. Again, remember, Nicodemus, Old Testament scholar, would have gotten this immediately. This is in Numbers chapter 21, where the people of Israel had rebelled against God yet again, and as punishment, God sent these venomous snakes who bit the people, poisoned them, and many of them died. But at the same time, God ordered Moses to make a large snake out of bronze to lift it up on a cross in the middle of the camp. And Numbers 21 verse 9 says, So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So Jesus is comparing himself to this snake that he will have to be lifted up on a cross, that he will have to be put to death, crucified on a cross. And we know that that happens later in Jesus' life. And in doing so, he provides salvation for all those who would look to him. Verse 15 says that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. 
And we know that that death, that being lifted up on a cross is not the end of the story for Jesus because three days later, he rose again and he showed that he has authority over sin and over death. They have no power over him. And so in Jesus' death and resurrection, he provides the way for this new birth to happen. That everyone who believes may have eternal life. And it is right here that we get that oh-so-famous verse, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that's how this new birth, this complete spiritual transformation happens. It is only through belief in Jesus Christ. And this is such a gift. This is such a great gift that God gives. The verse says that he loved us so much that he was willing to send his son to die for us. So now look down with me at at verse 18. Um, It says here, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What you see there is that we are offered such a great gift in Jesus' death and resurrection, this this gift of new birth. But what we see is there's, there's also consequences for those who do not accept this new birth. In Romans 6, 23, we're told that the wages of sin is death. And that is a death we all deserve. That is a death that I deserve, and that is a death that each and every one of you deserve. But the verse continues and says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's exactly what we see here in this passage. Whoever does not believe in Christ stands condemned because of their sin, But those who believe in Christ are not condemned because he took the punishment for our sins that we deserved. Because of our sin, each of us deserved death. But when Christ was crucified on the cross, he took that punishment on himself, the punishment that we deserved. And in that made a way for this new birth to be possible, this new spiritual transformation. You know, when we go out into the harvest, we've heard a little bit about that this morning. We go out and we, we share the gospel with people. And you'll see it up on the screens here, this diagram, the, the three circles. I'm sure most of you here are at least somewhat familiar and have seen this before. When we go out in the harvest, what we tell people is that when Jesus died on the cross, when he was crucified, we were given an invitation to turn from our sin and to trust in Christ, to make him the Lord of our life. And that in the moment that we turn and trust in Christ, we are made new. You can see the little stick person with the lines coming off of him there. We are made into a new person. And this is where we see that in Scripture, that when we put our trust in Christ, when we believe in him, we turn from our sin and we trust in him and what he has done. We experience that new birth. We experience that spiritual transformation. We are made new in Christ. So Jesus saw right into Nicodemus' heart. When the conversation began, he saw straight through him to his heart. And what he's saying to him here is, Nicodemus, I see your heart, and your heart needs to change. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough. Your heart needs to change. 
It is only through belief in Jesus Christ that this new birth can be attained, not through anything that we do on our own, only through faith in Christ. Now, as we look at the last couple of verses, verse 19 to 21, we'll, we'll see here that we're called to new birth, but we're also called to an entirely new life. Look at what verse 19 to 21 says. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth will come into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has been done has been done through God. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, I was surprised by joy. This is his story of his own personal conversion. And he writes this, how little they know of Christianity who think that the story ends with conversion. You see, that, that new birth, that putting your faith in Christ, that is not the end of the story, but rather that is just the beginning of an entirely new life in Christ. You look at what Jesus says in these verses. There's a fundamental change that happens when this new birth occurs. It's the beginning of this new life. We see here that these verses talk a lot about the contrast between light and dark. That's another common theme throughout the book of John. But do you remember the context of this conversation when this is happening? This entire conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is happening at night under cover of darkness. That Nicodemus has come to Jesus under cover of darkness so that no one is, is really able to see, so that he can avoid any of the other Pharisees coming and asking him any questions of, what were you doing talking to that Jesus guy? He's, he's safe and he's hidden under cover of darkness to come and to talk with Jesus. But what we see here is Nicodemus is, is urged to live his life in the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done in the sight of God. That this new birth, this trust in Christ is not something to, to hide away. This is not something to, to try to disguise. And the passage does make clear that this, this new birth, putting your faith in Christ, doesn't make you popular. It says everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But we are called to live a life that proclaims that new birth, that proclaims what Christ has done and who he is. If you look at verse 21, it says, Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what has been done has been done through God. So Nicodemus' unspoken question has been answered here, as he's been told Jesus has seen his heart, says, Nicodemus, your heart needs to change. You need to experience this new birth. Put your faith in me. Trust in me. And then that's where the story ends. Yeah, it, seems, it seems fairly abrupt. We don't actually get to see how Nicodemus responds here or, or the response that he gives to Jesus, whether he leaves from this meeting just as confused as when he came or if there was an actual change that occurred. That's the last that we see of Nicodemus in this particular chapter, but that's not the last that we see of him in the book of John. He appears two other times throughout the book. We're just going to look really quickly at, um, at those two instances. The first is in chapter 7, and the second is in chapter 19. So chapter 7, 
Nicodemus actually stands up and defends Jesus to his, to his fellow Pharisees. This is not some midnight meeting anymore. Nicodemus is actually defending Jesus to the other Pharisees. And in chapter 19, Nicodemus is actually one of the men after Jesus has been put to death on the cross to take his body to make sure that it is properly buried. And so we see at the very least this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus had a very significant impact on Nicodemus. And it, didn't, it did cause some kind of a change in him. And what I want us to see today as we look at this passage, what I want us to get out of this is that Jesus is offering to each and every one of us today the exact same thing that he offered to Nicodemus in that passage. The opportunity to be born again, to turn and to trust in Christ. We've already said, Jesus sees what is in your heart. Jesus already knows everything that is in your heart. So don't think that you're, you're too far gone or you've done too much that God will never love you because he already knows what you've done. He already knows what is in your heart. He loved you enough to send Jesus to die for your sins anyway. You're not going to shock or surprise God. He's not going to look at you, look at your heart and say, oh, didn't, I didn't know that was in there. I'm no longer interested. He knows what's in your heart and he loves you anyway. And he looks at us like he looked at Nicodemus and says, I see your heart. And I see that your heart needs to change. And that change can happen only through Christ. So let me encourage you today, if you've never made that decision, if you've never made the decision to turn and to trust in Christ, won't you do that this morning? Turn away from your sin, put your faith in Christ, trust in him, and take part in the new birth that he offers, the spiritual transformation and the new life that follows. And if you're sitting here and you, you have already done this, you've already trusted in Christ, let me encourage you with this. Live your life in the light. Don't fade in the background or, or try to hide this away. Proudly proclaim the name of Jesus. Proudly proclaim everything that he's done for you. See, the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, that was such a great gift and a gift we have never deserved and we will never deserve. Once you recognize that, Live it proudly. Proclaim to people who Jesus is and what he has done for you. As I end this morning, I just want to leave you with this. When we turn and we trust in Christ, we are born again into an entirely new life to live for Christ and to live plainly in the light for all to see. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your son, Lord, thank you for the work that he did on the cross and the new birth that he offers to us. Lord, we, we are sinners. All of us deserve death and deserve punishment for the things that we have done. But God, you loved us enough to send your son to die for us. Thank you so much for that gift. Lord, I pray for, for each person here. Lord, that you would work on our hearts, that if there are those who do not know you, have not trusted in you, that you would be at work in their hearts now. And Lord, for, for those of us who do know you, Lord, give us boldness. 
boldness to live for you, to live our life in the light, proudly proclaiming who you are and what you've done. We love you, Father, and we thank you for all that you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for tuning in today. We hope that this is an encouragement to you. As always, if you want to know more about us and our ministry, feel free to follow us on Facebook or Instagram or go to our website. Thanks so much and see you next time.